0: Now, i want to talk to you in this last message in this series from the Song of Solomon. And I believe that the Lord is going to help us today. I believe He's into that business. So if He speaks to you in some way, why don't you just listen to Him and open your heart and receive whatever it is that God wants to give to you. And He may help you out in a way that will surprise you. And maybe He has already been speaking into your life. I have been blessed by a number of people telling me that God has been speaking to them and I trust that God will strengthen us. But I want to say this. When God speaks to us, he doesn't come to just tell us how bad we are or to drive us away. But he comes to just bring us closer to himself. And so when we realize that's what God is trying to do, we just receive that and say, okay, well then give me the strength and a courage and a power, the willpower, to say yes to do whatever it is you want me to do. And you know what? He will do that if you'll let him. So I want to, want to deal with this message today. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale said something quite interesting a number of years ago when he said this, I have never known a marriage to fail where the couples had or had acquired the habit of praying aloud together. That has been one of the strengths Pam and I have experienced in our relationship, praying together out loud, regularly. And I want to encourage you that if you don't have that habit, that you adopt that habit and begin that habit right now. And you say, oh, I wouldn't want to do that because my prayers are personal. And then some people that don't know much about praying will say, well, I don't want to ask God for anything. That's, that's, not, that's silly talk. I'm sorry to say it. I don't mean to smash you, but that's silly talk. God wants you to bring your requests, your petitions to Him, your burdens, your trials It's in the Scripture to do. So He wants you to do that. And he wants each one of us to feel free to take them to him. And so today we're going to join with Solomon and his wife. And we're going to to consider four phases of of their struggle as they navigate the challenging season. And when we look at their struggle, we'll realize how we can navigate the challenging season in our life. Every relationship you have goes through some kind of struggle from time to time. Every relationship, if it's close, goes through it. It is not uncommon for you to have a marriage struggle or trouble somewhere in your relationship at some point. As a matter of fact, it would be unusual if you did not have a little bit of struggle. The question comes is, how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to fight or are you going to flight? You make that determination. You decide what you will do, determine on what it is that you're dealing with. The first thing I want to point out is in chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. Their marriage was out of focus. Some of you right now sitting here may say, well, maybe my marriage is out of focus. You talk about yourself, and you say, boy, I wish I could get it in focus, or what do I need to do? And then you count the cost to decide if you want to pay the price to keep your marriage in focus. There's always a price, but I can tell you that you can find it out, and you can pay it. Dr. Doug Weiss, Weiss, who is a counselor and uh, in ministry, And he also is a writer, and he is a person that does interviews and all of that. He said, our calling is to be a lover, not a role filler in our marriage. In other words, I'm not just called to be a husband or just to be a wife. I am called to be a lover. And then he said, do this. This was very important. He said, do this. Everybody say, do this. He said, do this. Here it is, if you were your spouse's lover, you would fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What would you do if you were your spouse's lover right now, if you were their lover? He said, he said this, I thought this was interesting. He said 100% of his respondents knew the answer to that question. I dare say you will not break that trend, but you and I together will be able to figure out what we need to do to enhance... The relationship that we call our spouse and our marriage. And if you're not married today, I want to give to you as well some of the stuff that I'm giving to the married folks because someday you might be, you don't know. I sat in a class teaching a four part series of John Maxwell's material one time on marriage. It was a, it was a, a small group I was leading, and I had a guy there who was 80 years old, attending my class, and along about the last class, he said, I guess you wonder why I'm attending. And I said, well, yeah, to tell you the truth, I did. (laughs) He wasn't married. And I said, yeah, I was. He said, well, I've been seeing somebody. So uh, take good notes today, take copious notes. If you will stay lovers, Dr. Wise says, if you will choose to stay lovers, you will not get hungry. If you get a full course meal, you don't have to eat junk food. You don't have to go, he says, to pornography, to other people, emotionally, mentally, or literally. Now, let me say to you, as a minister, you cannot help the thoughts that go through your head. You're going to see somebody good-looking at work. You're going to see somebody good-looking at the supermarket. You're going to see somebody good-looking in the neighborhood. There's going to be somebody in your life that's going to, because everybody is going to say, wow, that is a good-looking person. It's what you do when you see that person that makes all the difference in the world. That's the difference in this whole situation. Just because you get married does not mean you go blind. It also does not mean you're dumb. You may know someone is beautiful, but you don't need to tell your wife, that lady is beautiful. That lady's smoking hot. You never say stuff like that. How did he get a black eye? You never say stuff like that. But some of you maybe never had a dad tell you that or a pastor care enough to tell you that. And I'm telling you that today. Those things are dumb. You don't want to do that. You don't have that conversation out loud. If you, listen to me here on this. This, I think, will help. If you feed a thought, it will grow. If you starve a thought, it will And you're smart enough to know how to do that. You don't need me to sit here and say, and then go away and say, well, he never said how. No, you're smart Okay, so Dr. White said these things really help out, particularly with the structures in marriage. Number one, if you're ready to receive it, say yes. yes. Number one is date regularly. When we had little kids at home, it was very tough. We had them two years apart, three of them. It was very tough. We had no relatives around to come over and just do free babysitting. So only on occasion when we had somebody come over and just gift us babysitting. It was hard. And so once in a while, what we would do is we would, we would say, well, we're going to pay uh, one of those Elko girls, to come over and to babysit our kids, and so we would have to go get them, bring them over, or their parent dropped them off, and we'd take them home. Do what, you do what you do, right? You know the drill. You do what you do, and you, and you give your kids a break. I was always amazed at this. My sister used to come out here in uh, February, I think the pastor and spouse retreat in February, something like that, and... Uh, My sister Nancy would fly from Missouri out here so we could go to that because she knew the kids would accept her, and so she would come out, and and she'd spend her own money, but she'd fly out, and she would babysit our kids through the weekend so Pam and I could get away. I noticed this about when we were away. We caught our breath. If we had the opportunity, we slept (laughs) as we were tired. And then when we went back home, we were glad to see the kids— and the kids were glad to see us. Sometime a little separate, but let me tell you this: When our kids got a little bit older, we realized we still need to take time out, and we still need to take a break. They need us too. We need us too. And we would take a break from them. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to get way weirdo wild, but do something fun. Do something creative. Do something you all like. You know what you like. I don't know what... You know what you like. Well, go do it. Quit making excuses. Get off your seat. Get on your feet. Get out in the street and go do whatever it is that you like to do. Can I get a witness in the house? Pray together regularly. We already talked about that. Share your feelings regularly. Now, I'm going to just get blunt on this. Sometimes in... in uh, since some of us are a little bit German... Um, myself included the easy thing to do is to get what I call it. there's got to be a term for it I don't know what it is there's got to be a term for this it's called just bottom line ugly honest in what we say you don't always have to say something that goes through your mind just because it is the truth it doesn't always build up and edify to him or to her Sometimes the best thing we can say is nothing at all. Can I get a witness in the house? You can say yes to that, surely. But it to say, say nothing at all. It's sometimes it's just the, the best things I've ever said are the things i never said. Some would say. Come on now. Sometimes that's the best stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And so here's another thought about it. If it isn't the truth, don't say it. But some people say, well, it's the truth and I feel better about it. Well, let me tell you what. You may feel better about it, but you just made the person that hurt it feel like chopped liver. That means really bad. And you've made them feel really bad and really bruised up and really mangled. And why in the name of sense would you do that? And never say something about somebody that they cannot change. And if they have a situation that is a little different than you thought, get over yourself. You're not perfect either. And I'm not mad I'm just speaking the truth in love. Have sexual relations regularly. When you're married, depending on your age, talk about it. People that are older communicate to me sometimes and say, I'm frustrated out of my head in this area of my life. And let me just say this to you. You need to talk about it as a couple. And the reason I'm bringing it up and being so blunt with everybody here is because I want to give you a segue to have this communication because some of you need to have this co- kind of communication to figure out at your age and your physical conditions and everything else what is appropriate and what is right between you as a couple. And then have friends socially. Do you have any friends socially at all? And then manage your money intelligently. He says, tithe and invest. Tithe is 10% to the church and invest. And then he says this, he says, if you're drifting, if you're drifting, return to your wedding vows and feed your brain different thoughts. So what are your wedding vows? I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others in here and out here, forsaking all others, be faithful to you only, so long as we both shall live. That's what you promised. Nobody made you promise that. You gave that oath before God. You made that promise. That is your decision and your communication. But, Kev, you're supposed to preach the Bible and not what some psychologist says. Okay, let's go to chapter 5. Considering what Solomon is saying here, the marriage of Solomon and his wife had hit a tough season. She reaches out for him in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and he is not there. What has happened is she has closed down because she's wanting to take a vacation back into her home area. And she just kind of closed down. She's not communicating. You see, we don't have glass foreheads. Somehow or another, he doesn't get the message. And she has shut him out in her life now. And then she has this dream. And as she has this dream, she is having a dream in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5 of Song of Solomon. And she reaches over in her dream, and he is gone. Have you ever had a dream that your spouse left you? And you wake up, and you're just like, ah, they left. I had that dream a time or two. And it's just like, what in the world? Pam's had that dream a time or two. And she wakes wake up and just like, are we okay? Or I'll say to her, are we all right? Everything okay? Yes, go back to sleep. And, you know. But for her, in her dream, her heart sank in verse 6 of chapter 5. And in verse 6, She began searching for her husband. And in verse 7 and 8, the watchman, the night patrol, found her prowling around in the streets looking for her husband and said to her, hey, you shouldn't be out here like this. This isn't a good place for you to be. You need to go back home. And so she goes back home. You see, nobody can read your mind. You've got to communicate your thoughts. And we've talked about word pictures and how to communicate with somebody in our lives. So much is missed through our communication. It reminds me of the couple who had been married for 60 years, and they're sitting by the fireplace, just sitting there rocking. And he was thinking about his wife and had warm, loving thoughts. And he looked over to her, and he said, after 60 years, I have found you tried and true. His wife's hearing wasn't that good, and she said, what? And he said, after 60 years, I found you tried and true. She said, after 60 years, I'm tired of you too. Their marriage benefited from some adjustments. Your marriage will benefit from some adjustments. My marriage has benefited from adjustments as well. In chapter 5, verses 10 through 16, the bride went back to the basics. It happened when her friends asked why she thinks Solomon is so awesome. Well, she starts out talking about his physical appearance. She doesn't stop there because she knows that looks will change and fade. Our bodies will change and they'll fade. I had one friend who had double amputation, and he would joke and make jokes about his life himself, and he said, I went to the doctor the other day, pastor, and he asked me how tall I was. I didn't know what to tell him. He said, I could tell him what I originally was, what I am with the artificial legs, or what I am when I don't have my artificial legs on. Looks change, but look at what she says in verse 10. Verse 10. My husband is awesome and better than 10,000 men. Verse 11, his head is awesome. And what head of hair this dude has? He has really got the hair going on. And then verse 12, his eyes are like doves, like mounted jewels. Verse 13, his cheeks are amazing. Verse 14, his arms are awesome. They are strong. And she goes on in verse 14 through 16. And she says in 16, basically, he is altogether lovely. In other words, really, he is the one for me. He is the one that I love. And then in chapter 5, she focuses on him as a lover. As a lover. My lover is radiant and ruddy. He, this is my lover, she says in verse 16. She doesn't want anybody else. She says, I've already got him trained. <laughs> I don't want to have to retrain another person. <laughs> I am, I'm going to just stay with the one. I am going to dance with the one that brung me. And life brings us all kinds of goofball stuff. But she says, I, I want to stick with him. And then she focuses on him as a friend. She realizes he's gone and she's been shutting out her friend. You know, when we go through those silent periods of our lives, we do, we go through them. Sometimes we get a little silent toward the one that we love. Not you, but me, maybe I do. You Get a little silent toward, you know what I mean? You get just a little bit and you don't know how to say whatever it is you need to say. You know what I mean? If you've ever been there, don't say yes. Just nod your head and I know you know what I mean. So it's just like, wow. And I've been there, done that. And so what happens with that? You've got to deal with it. You've got to eventually grow past being 13 and be the adult you are. And the groom went back to basics. In chapter 6 and 7, he gives a third of the songs that he gives about his wife. And the third so- song that he gives is the most sensual of all of the songs that he has shared about his wife. He says in chapter 7, verse 1, You look good in your sandals. Your legs look good like jewels. Your navel is awesome. Your waist is like a mound of wheat. And he continues on describing her beauty. You can read it for yourself. In chapter 6 and verse 13, he watches her dance, and he says, wow, she is incredible. In chapter 6 and verse 8, not comparing her to everybody else, but just making a love statement, he says, you are better than all the others. You absolutely stand alone. You're magnificent. You are the one for me. Solomon does not compare her to everyone else to make her insecure. There's no need to do that. But if you look in verse, in verse 13... Of this chapter, you see that he uses a name here for her, and that is he uses the name Shulamite. Shulamite is a feminine form of Solomon. Solomoness, add the N E S S, and it means perfect one. You are the perfect one. He is saying. Now he can no longer stay disconnected to his wife. He said, we've had this disagreement, we've had this season of, of choppiness, but he decides he's going he's to be the man he's supposed to be, and she decides she'll be the woman she's going to be, and supposed to be. And in this moment here, he says in chapter 7, and in verse 8, I will climb, in other words, I will fight for this. Verse 8, I will lay hold of this, he says. In other words, he acts instead of just letting the drift continue, because if you feed the drift. You'll continue to drift, and that will be the end result of who you are. Several years ago, several doctors put together a research that is pretty definitive, I think, and they, they diagnose relationships focusing on marriage. And they said that every marriage will go through what they call the five passages of love. They say that if you think you're going to bypass one, you're not really, because each phase has four parts to itself and you have to complete that phase. So if you get married again when you're 75, you're gonna go back to phase one. So these phases are very important to note and if you're single and thinking about getting married, listen up. Young love, years one and two. You're trying to figure everything out, trying to figure out how you're gonna live, who's gonna take out the trash, all this kind of stuff. Then years three through 10 is called realistic love. It's for you in your bulletin there in your notes. Comfortable love at 11 through 25, renewing love, 26 through 35, transcendent love, 36 and thereafter. Now, they made an interesting observation that I feel anyway that's very interesting. They say in the second and in the fourth phases, years 3 through 10, 26 through 35, tend to be a time when people say, I want to escape because you feel trapped by something. And it may be different from person to person, but you can feel trapped. I thought my career would be better. I I thought our love would be stronger. I didn't know our kids would be this way. I didn't know that my my in-laws would be moving in. I didn't know. You you have all of these different things going on in your life, and you feel trapped. And those are the times when you tend to say, I'm going to bail on this. An interesting phenomenon has happened in our culture today and in more current times from what I've understood from from those that are in the field of counseling, and that is that there tends to be a higher number of people that are choosing to get a divorce in their 60s, because 60s is considered the new youth. Well, let me tell you, I'm not in my 60s yet. I'm just in my 50s, but I can tell you 60 ain't nothing to do with youth. Ain't got nothing to do with youth. You might think you're young and hip. Just because you're cool enough to drive the car doesn't mean you're cool to to drive the car. You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Notice also they develop a plan to strengthen their marriage. I love this about them because it gives to us a pattern. Chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. This, this is a pattern if you, want to re, if you want to refocus your relationship. Right here, they're zeroing in. Think about it. They reconnected emotionally. They healed up. And you may need to sit with a counselor. You may need to sit with somebody you respect, an older couple, and just ask them how to make it through something. I don't know. They reconnected emotionally. I call that healed up. Verse 10, I belong to my lover in chapter 7. Verse 10, and my desire is his, she says. They reconnected geographically at the same place. Verse 11, let's go. Emphasis on that word, let's. Verse 12, let's go. So they healed up as they're getting some emotional healing. Geographically, they get in the same place. You don't heal well, separated apart, wherever you are. And then they reconnect romantically that they might be one heart. Look at verse 11. Oh, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside and get away from all this rat race all of these pressures of life, let's forget it for a little while and escape into the beauty of what we want, let us spend the night together, and that is talking about quality time. And then in verse 13, look at this, they are thinking beyond right now. She mentions mandrakes. Those are flowers. They are a maternity flower. You know what she's saying? I see a future, one future with both of us in it ahead. I want both of us to be together into the future, into our into our future uh, life together. That's where I want to be. They went away on a romantic getaway just themselves and they worked on focusing on how to navigate the things that were out of whack in their life. Dr. John Trent put it this way. I believe every couple should get away twice a year and renew and enrich their relationship. It's the best way to escape the breakneck pace of a modern life that takes an incredible toll on a relationship. And I'm going to tell you this And I know I'm right on it. There is nothing in the world encouraging your marriage. Nothing. But you can, and God will, in moments like I'm talking right now, are designed to encourage all of us. Not to smash us, to encourage us. And then I noticed something else. They went for long-lasting love. Chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. They referred to mature love as being a seal not a seal that barks at the zoo or something, but as being a seal like a signet. Look at verse 6, chapter 8. Place me like a seal over your heart. In other words, a signet worn around the neck. Put me like that, if you would, please. Put me like that. The signet was the name of a person. It's personal. It's close. It's unbreakable. It is them. And in verse 6, put me like a seal on your arm, the strength, the security. The woman wants to be protected here. She says, put me like that because I want to be in this love forever, she is saying here. And they refer to mature love as being something that could be secure. Now, they use metaphor or imagery or idioms, whatever, to describe this. It might be different than you and I would. This love is as strong as death. Well, if you tell your girlfriend or your wife, this love is as strong as death, she'll say, yeah, and you got B.O., So, you know, it's not like that. Well, what do they mean by that? Death is universal and it's unavoidable. So is love. It's never supposed to cease those affected by it. That's what it means. Verse 6. Love burns like a blazing flame. It burns with an unusual intensity, like a raging forest fire. And then in verse 7. This love cannot be quenched. It can't be drowned by troubles. In other words, we've got troubles. We've got some bills to pay. We've got some health reports. We've got some things we need to work through with our own lives. We've got some this. We've got some that. And some a misunderstanding. We've got to work through some stuff because we've been going so fast, so hard, just getting through and getting by that we've ignored each other. So what I need to do, I need to stop. I need to pause. And I need to work through all this kind of stuff. So what am I going to do with this whole situation? I'm not gonna let the troubles drown it out. And then in verse seven, it says, This is more, is worth more than great wealth. You can't put a price on this kind of pure love between the man and the woman, you cannot put a price. You can't buy it through, through uh, technology and pornography. You cannot buy it by going down and hiring a prostitute. You can't do it that way. You can't buy it by just giving gifts and saying, I'm going to run around and do what I want. You cannot do that because some of you have the money to do that. But you can do that, they said. This is a transcendent love because if you put God here and a husband and a wife and you grow toward each other, guess what? You begin to have a strong relationship because you cannot help but have one if you will grow toward God. Can I get a witness Somewhere, Amen. Can I get a witness somewhere in his house? Amen. Now I don't know what God might be saying to you today, but I've got a feeling he's, he, he's been talking because through this message series, he's just been talking to a lot of us. And he's been reminding us of a lot of things. doesn't mean we're losers. It just means God's been talking to us. I don't know what your private life is like. I don't know who you are when I'm not around or who you are, wherever you are. But I would imagine that God has spoken to you unless you just are just shutting him out. God has spoken to every one of us in some way. I don't know how he is speaking to you. But I imagine he has. And then I ask a follow-up question in kindness. What will you do about what he is saying to you? What are you going to do about what God is saying to you? I'm going to close the service very differently today. And that is that I'm going to open the altar area here. And I'm going to invite you to come forward if you would like to to solidify your, your commitment to God. And maybe you're praying about your own family saying, God, I'm just bringing it to you. doesn't mean your family is in chaos, but it just says, God, here we are. We're just saying we're yours. Um, and, and maybe, uh, you're praying for some loved one. Maybe some of your children just saying, God, I'm just praying. I'm just bringing them to you. Just praying for them. Um, maybe you're a young person. You just say, you know what? I'm going to go forward today because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give God my future. And I'm going to say, God, you know about the future and if it has a spouse or a future with, with children, here it is. I give it to you. Uh, maybe you're coming today because you just say, uh, I need some personal forgiveness. I want to connect with God. I've never connected with Him before. And you say, well, what are the chairs here for? Well, they just kind of, you can stand by, you can sit on, you can kneel down, you can do whatever you wish to do right there where those chairs are. And if nobody comes... I don't keep track of how many people come. If a bunch come, that's fine. If nobody comes. If one of your friends comes, you can come and just put your hand on their shoulder. I'm not going to ask you why you're here. Some of you have burdens that are not related to anything in this message series, and I get it. But I'm just going to ask Pam now, if you would, to come to the piano. If you would, and just, and just play something softly. Not to manipulate your moods, but just to ease the transition time. Billy Graham and his crusades used to say, you know, Jesus took a cross publicly, stripped naked. He did that for you. You can surely take an aisle for him. And so we're just, we're friends here. And one of the beauties about this church, at least that I think is the idea is we go from where we are, not where we should be. We just go from where we are. I go from where I am. You go from where you are. And when we go from where we are, we don't have to put on pretenses and try to be something we're not. I don't like that. I hate that. Plus, if you come up here, I'm not judging you. You're not under any judgment whatsoever, right? So if you come forward, you're not under judgment. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a little bit at the conclusion of our time, if anyone comes or they don't. But let's all stand together. And if you'd like to come today, I'm going to invite you just to step out and just come forward and stand or kneel here. Nobody's going to ask you what you're here for. And uh, we're just going to pray a prayer of... uh, blessing that God will seal this message series into your heart. Dad, if you're here, lead the way. Don't make her the leader. You be the leader. If you're coming, get her hand and come on down because this is a place where you can find some healing. And if you don't feel like it, fake it till you make it. If your feelings are dead, say, God, I give you my feeling because they just stink right now, but I need help. And if you just come on out here and ladies, if he won't, you can grab his hand and bring him anyway. And just let God help today. There are a lot of people coming and I believe you ought to come too if God is in any way speaking or you have a friend you're praying for today. I'm going to ask our praise team to get in place because we're going to have you lead us in that song in just a little bit Lord Jesus I felt last night you were going to meet with us in an unusual way today in this moment and particularly in this service and you have not failed to be here but you are here and Lord anywhere throughout this room we can make an altar but many have come forward today because they just are saying here we are Here we are, Lord. You have spoken, we have answered. Strengthen us. Strengthen us in our weaker areas. Strengthen us in our private areas of life. Areas we would not really wanna communicate to anyone else. Lord, we ask you to give us course corrections where we have gotten off course and where we we have just gotten lazy. For those that feel like there's no hope, what's the use, and want to play the edges, I pray that you would arrest their heart and help them to not catch diseases in the process. Oh God, for those that are lifting a burden for their own soul, I pray that you would hear their prayer today and forgive sin, cleanse the heart, make new that which is now worn out by sin. And Lord, Let that which is dead live again. Lord, for those that are here for a relative and a friend that they're praying for, remember their friend, remember their relative. Remember them, I pray, Jesus. Reach where we cannot reach and do what we cannot do, but you can. And Lord, I pray that you would be with any who are here with physical conditions today. May you be with them in their hour of Of faith, right now that they might have the faith to reach up to you and that we join together with them and present their situation to you and may there be those touches in their body and those touches in the people they're praying for now that are beyond description and beyond our definition Lord that bring honor to you and you alone Lord I pray we would not let this moment pass us while you have troubled the waters but you would come to minister to our heart And help us now as we sing this song of speaking Jesus over family and as they begin it right now, Lord, I pray that you would just help them to be able to honor you. And that everything will bring you praise. In Jesus' name.